Okay, Lord Jesus, I just pray um, uh, that you really bless Nigel and just give him your words um, through his preparation, Lord. And uh, thank you that we've been able to look into Micah. Um, and it, Micah is a tough book. So I just pray that we um, really, just it will be all cemented today and that we will come away knowing that there are um, real treasures for us to take away and that we have a greater understanding of your word. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Sarah. So you're feeling Christmassy? You are. I'm not. You've got to make me more Christmassy. I think I'm getting... Uh, I lent uh, Sarah's dad my Christmas jumper for his office due uh, last week, but I won't put it on now. Uh, I think I'm getting even more of a grumpy old man than usual. Uh, my favorite quote from this season is, there are 12 days of Christmas, but none of them are in November, when people are trying to sell you stuff in November. We haven't even reached the 12 days of Christmas yet. But I think next week when you karaoke and when you come here for the Christmas service, you'll be more in the Christmas spirit. But it's not so much about the stuff and the tinsel, is it? I felt in the worship today just that sense of anticipation that the Lord Jesus is coming. He's coming to make himself known to us. His presence is here with us. He's going to come and usher in, at some point, the new heavens and the new earth. And just in this season, if I am a grumpy old man, uh, at least we can sense that in the anticipation that we're, we're getting into the presence of Jesus. And if you've got nothing for Christmas, but you felt the presence of Jesus and you felt anticipation for his coming kingdom, then that's absolutely wonderful. So, And I, I just felt that a bit at Alpha as well. We had the last night of the current Alpha course and just seeing Here for Good filled up with people, uh, eating together, finding out more about Jesus and about his church that he's established and just getting to know each other and the warmth that was there at the end of the course. It's so good to see. It's a foretaste of heaven and it's anticipation of Jesus coming. I want to say one thing about Jenny now and a, a bit one more thing later but it was wonderful to have her as uh, one of our pastors the last 12 years. Uh, she's made a huge contribution. And uh, one of the things I noted last week, and I said it at the lunch, is uh, her husband, Glenn, also wanted to commend her. We all know how lovely she is. And he just stood up and said, she's so genuine. She's not like someone else at home. And then she puts on a good face for you guys. You knew that anyway, but I love the way that he said that. And the way he said it is kind of intonation. It made me think of the, instead of genuine, 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 <laughs> that uh, maybe it's a new word we're going to coin, someone that's genuine. They've got that wonderful character of Jesus. And I think something Elaine said earlier on, that uh, there's a lot of generosity. I know Jenny was very blessed by the gifts we gave her. And the love and the comments in that card she spent, I think, last Monday reading through uh, your comments in the card. And I think the, the phrase generosity will be something that uh, stays with us and is a character of our church. So we're in Micah, and if you've got a Bible or a Bible on your phone, Micah chapter 4. Are the slides coming up, Paul, please? So we're in the book of Micah, one of the Old Testament prophets. Next one, please, Paul. And we're thinking a little bit about life's journey. And I want to look, uh, make it probably more personal uh, and more narrowly focused today. I thought Sam did a brilliant job last week and put the bigger picture of God's coming kingdom 
and the twist in, in the tale of the story and how God does amazing things, but not necessarily the things we expect and how he stands for love and peace and justice. Do listen to that on our website. I'm going to maybe narrow in a bit more than that big picture today. But uh, we had a church weekend away this February back in Ashburnham. Can you remember that far back? And the, the theme was looking at the journey of life and faith, how we can move forward in our discipleship as followers of Jesus. And I want to think a little bit about life's journey. Picturing the journey, next slide. This is my very, very bad graphics. Um, I don't know, do you feel your journey is a bit kind of flat, like the top line? You can either think of it as flat and you know, not a lot happening, or think of it as kind of even keel, which sounds better, don't you? Is that how your, your journey feels? Or the second line, and sometimes the way Christianity is preached, is become a Christian, everything's onward and upwards. It's all better. Every single day is better. It's all going to be plain sailing and wonderful. Anyone, is that a picture of your journey? Maybe not. Well, we've got another slide. And uh, maybe a little bit more like that with lots of peaks and troughs. Uh, is that a sense of your journey? And you can think of maybe some of the peaks and some of the troughs. And you get to a peak and you think it's brilliant. You can see across to the next peak. You think that's fantastic. And then you go into this trough. And that's one of the things I think comes out in the passage from Micah. We're going to read it through in a minute. But that kind of picture was in my mind reading this through. An old book that came to mind as well, if you put it up, please, Paul, is Pilgrim's Progress. How many have read Pilgrim's Progress? It's like 400 years old or whatever. And there's children's versions now. And that the pilgrim um, tells this story of how he, he thinks his town is going to be destroyed. He meets the evangelist who points him in the right direction. And he starts to go through many twists and turns to the cross and then on towards the celestial city. And you see in that story peaks and troughs, good times but bad times, temptations and trials and struggles. But he gets to the destination that God's called him to. My other reference to Jenny is in the next slide, and we've heard that's her on her last official day at work, which was Friday. So we all said goodbye last Sunday, then she was back at work on Tuesday because she didn't finish till Friday. And that's, uh, that's us having a staff Christmas meal at Toby, which is an annual ritual. And uh, we heard some of Jenny's stories. If you heard her speak a couple of weeks ago, if you were here last Sunday... And she's been through peaks and troughs, I'm sure. She's been through great times and times of disappointment and difficulty. But the way Jenny spoke, it's probably that she is such a positive person. It seems she had loads of peaks. She's a very much glass half full person, not glass half empty. And that's something that she's left with us. She seemed to find loads of peaks in her journey with us. But of course, a number of you know, and she said it again, she had a huge trough suddenly and unexpectedly. Uh, she got sepsis two and a half years ago and came this close to dying. And she wasn't expecting that. She was looking ahead, great stuff happening, maybe looking at the next peak. And she wasn't expecting to suddenly be so ill and almost die. But she came through that trough and she served us for another couple of years, and she's moving on in her adventure with God. So that's kind of the movements of life, some of the, the peaks and troughs that we face. 
So Micah's obviously talking to the nation of Israel, if we could have the next slide. And there's lots of peaks and troughs in the life of that nation. You remember the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob was obviously renamed Israel, and the nation was founded. They had no country of their own at the start, kind of leading a nomadic existence. And uh, they had the promise, though, They had the promise. They had something to look forward to, some wonderful prophetic promise. And that was for a land flowing with milk and honey. Not a gooey mess, but a a fertile land of fields and provision and blessing from God. That was the vision they got, a peak vision, something to go for. But they didn't establish it straight away. And the story runs on famine strikes They spend 400 years in Egypt, not where they thought they were going to be. And that became the deep trough of slavery and oppression. But then they came through the trough and escape led by Moses. We read about the promised land, the judges and the king's time of prosperity. And that was a huge peak. And you think of the Davidic kingdom in Israel. That's fantastic. They've got the land, they've got established, they're worshipping God, they're seeing success, they're seeing prosperity. But then we know they start going down the other side of the peak and that's where Micah comes in. And Micah's time is a little after that. The United Kingdom of Israel has been divided, it's become the divided kingdom. Maybe we can think of echoes in our news about United Kingdom becoming a divided kingdom, but that was their situation. And if you put the next slide up, please, Paul. Maybe they were kind of coming down that first peak and they're heading towards the trough, but Micah is going to speak to them. If we could put the next slide up, let's read this part of the passage together. We're doing Micah 4, verses 6 to 13. Let's read these three verses together. In that coming day, says the Lord, I will gather together those who are lame, those who have been exiled, and those whom I have filled with grief. Those who are weak will survive as a remnant. Those who were exiles will become a strong nation. Then I, the Lord, will rule from Jerusalem as their king forever. As for you, Jerusalem, the citadel of God's people, your royal might and power will come back to you again. The kingship will be restored to my precious Jerusalem. And that links in very much with what Sam spoke on last week uh, from the first part of Micah 4. And that's a wonderful vision of a great future. A wonderful vision of a great future. And the first couple of verses of Micah 4 say this. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all the most important place on earth. It'll be raised up above the other hills and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. There's a wonderful promise, a wonderful future hope of healing and restoration. Though they're being scattered, God will gather them again and his kingdom will be established. So they're on that peak and maybe coming down the peak and God shows them a vision of a wonderful future. 
And let's put the next slide up, please, Paul. So maybe you could think of that. And that uh, passage from last week and the passage we read about God gathering them and restoring them and healing them is what they can see as a wonderful future. Let's read the next part of the passage together from verse 9. But why are you now screaming in terror? Have you no king to lead you? Have your wise people all died? Pain has gripped you like a woman in childbirth. Writhe and groan like a woman in labor, you people of Jerusalem. For now you must leave this city to live in the open country. You will soon be sent in exile to distant Babylon. But the Lord will rescue you there. He will redeem you from the grip of your enemies. Now many nations have gathered against you. Let her be desecrated, they say. Let us see the destruction of Jerusalem. So we start the passage with this wonderful vision of the future of healing and restoration and goodness and the blessing of God. But, and I've emphasized the word now, what they're about to go into isn't straight into that. There's a time of trouble, there's a time of judgment, there's a time of exile. There's still something even there about rescue and redemption, so the hope is there given by God. But they're actually going to trouble and strive and they're going to be conquered and they're going to be taken into slavery and exile. Wouldn't it be great just to go from one peak to another? (laughs) Wouldn't that be wonderful? Just to leap straight from one peak to another. But the reality is, the reality for Israel, the reality in in our lives, is we often suffer disappointments, we have troughs and troubles and traumas, and we do need to, to face them and to find God in them. And why does it happen? Maybe it's our own mistakes, our own stupidity. I could put a hand up for that. Maybe it's because we turn our backs on God. Maybe we're being attacked by the enemy. Maybe there's no obvious reason at all. But a reality in life is we do have those peaks and troughs. And reading Pilgrim's Progress, that early in his journey, he slides into Slough Despond. I love that, that term, Slough Despond. used to imagine it. And later on, he's led away in temptation. He's asleep when he needed to be awake and alert. He's in a battle with Apollyon, the enemy. So these battles, these traumas, these struggles, for whatever reason, you may think there's no reason at all why I'm going through this. Or you may think, why on earth did I do that and get myself in this mess? Or you might be really under attack from the enemy. The reality is we do have those peaks and troughs. There's a vision of a great future. We know that God is there. He's leading us forward into something wonderful. But for for many people, the now or what's going to happen soon is not going to be so easy to live with. Next slide, please. So peaks and troughs again. I don't know where you're at. Are you on the, the ridge of the mountain looking ahead or are you going down into the trough? And we need to find God. There. We need to know how to live through those times. They're troubling, they can be really confusing, but it's not the end of the story. So let's read the final couple of verses that we got from Micah 4 together. 
but they do not know the Lord's thoughts or understand his plan. These nations don't know he's gathering them together to be beaten and trampled like sheaves of grain on a threshing floor. Rise up and crush the nations, O Jerusalem, says the Lord, for I will give you iron horns and bronze hooves so you can trample many nations to pieces. You will present their stolen riches to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. And that final bit, and it's obviously in the context of a nation and the context of Jerusalem, is they've suffered, they've been taken, many of them have been taken to exile and slavery, and the enemy nations are coming and say, let's finish God's work off. Let's annihilate all the people left. Let's destroy Jerusalem completely. And you can see them gathering for that final destruction. But just then, God rescues his people. He strengthens his people. They rise up. And the enemies that think they're gathering to finish you off are finished off by God. And Jerusalem begins to be rebuilt and shine again. And so for God's people, and that includes you and me, there's hope for healing for restoration, for recovery, for triumph, for victory over the enemy. So if you're in that trough, if you feel you're heading down that trough, it's not the end of the story. We are going to rise up. God's going to recover us. God's going to heal us. God's going to be with us in that situation. God's going to raise us up, and he's going to give us victory against the enemy. So just thinking about that kind of movement, those peaks and troughs, put the next slide up, please, that kind of picture that was in my mind. Thinking of Jenny again, and I said it uh, earlier on, maybe she was on that peak and went on holiday, had a minor operation, and then came back and got sepsis. And she went quickly into a trough. Maybe that would be some of our experience, quickly, a reversal comes and a real challenge comes but God met her there and many of us were praying if you're around you know she was unconscious for six whole days and she was in multiple organ failure and you just think will she come back and if she does will we lose yeah will she lose limbs will she lose her personality whatever and she woke up after six days And she was asking about other people, wondering why her son had bothered to travel all the way to see her, asking about how you guys were doing at church. And we thought, great, we haven't lost anything of wonderful Jenny. And God raised her up and brought her back to full strength. Last summer, they were planning to send a youth team to the red light district of Calcutta. And if I'd gone abroad and come back with sepsis and almost died... I would have said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to uh, anywhere near the slums of Calcutta. I'm going to stay here in Forest Hill and be safe. But what did Jenny do? She moved on to the next peak. She led the youth team in Calcutta. She was ministering to all sorts of people. And God was with her in the peak, through the trough, and out the other side. We believe God's leading her forward in her adventures I think of a young couple in our church, and uh, everything was absolutely fine for them. This is a number of years ago, probably before many of you were here, and uh, 
she was pregnant and then after a while found out it was twins, which was a bit of a shock. But they were looking forward to the next peak, family life, and everything was going to be wonderful. Now, I've been away. Uh, we had Our kids were quite small at the time. We've got four kids. And I've been away all week on a mission in, actually, Walton-on-the-Nays in Essex, which is uh, kind of home from home for Nick in some and Fliss in some ways. And I came back after being away for a week, and my expectation that was Yvonne was my wife, you've been away for a week, here's the four kids, that's it, you know, give me a break now. But she said, you need to go out. I just come in. You need to go out and need to go to the hospital. And uh, the wife had suddenly, unexpectedly gone into premature labor at 20 weeks with twins. And I arrived at the hospital, and the twins had been stillborn. So they were there, wrapped up, and just the kind of atmosphere of uh, the place. Uh, and someone was saying to me this week they'd had to do a funeral for a stillborn baby. And uh, I said, I've done a funeral for stillborn twins. And I can still remember uh, the two little white coffins going to the cemetery and burying them. And... Uh, the, the phrase we put on the, the order of service was born into eternity. And then I remember going around to see this couple. So they they'd were happily married, looking forward to family life. And they just had their curtains shut. And they were just sat there, stunned, like Job, kind of sitting in the ashes. And we just had to sit with them. And they had a, a wonderful vision of a family future. They hadn't expected the, the trough. But God was there with them. We didn't know what to say. We just had to be there. Time moved on. And they have three teenage children now, and they've moved on to another part of the country. They came through that trough and out the other side. Thinking about another couple, uh, friends of mine, they got married, were looking forward again to family life, and they found out that both of them had major fertility problems. And uh, they were in Christian ministry. They prayed a lot. Nothing happened. And as they were in ministry, I thought, let's write a book. We'll write a book called Some Mothers Do Have Them, Others Don't, about grappling with the problem of infertility. And while they were waiting for the book to be published, she got pregnant. And they also have three children, and they moved through that trough. But I don't know what they did with the book, um, whether it was published or not. But they came through that trough. They knew that God was with them. And... Getting into the kind of story of Micah and Israel, they were doing well. They had the promise of a great future, but they had a trough to go through. But they came through, God was in it with them, and he brought them out the other side. And I want us to have a vision of a bright future that God's calling us into. But I also want us to know that he can take us through those troughs. He doesn't abandon us in those times. Thinking back uh, to myself, uh, God's really blessed me, but I think growing up, I um, had quite a few uh, difficulties and traumas. Um, as a kid and teenager, had an eating disorder. I ate a very, very limited diet, and that wasn't good for me socially either. And I was an only child, and I felt increasingly isolated and increasingly paranoid. And I really, I had acquaintances, but I really, really struggled to make friends. 
And I remember at uni, again, feeling really hard to connect with people, really hard to make friends. Life was a real struggle. And then at the end of each year, you get all these exams, and you think, I've got all this stress of the exams, and I'll, maybe I'll fail them. Wouldn't it be easier just to commit suicide rather than putting myself through the exams? So I was really disappearing into uh, a trough there and having those thoughts. But I had met God. I had met God as a teenager, and slowly I found him helping in my life and helping me and supporting me. And when I felt stressed and depressed, I felt God was still there with me in that trough and speaking to me. And there were two things, really. One was the mental picture, and I felt of myself stuck at the bottom of a, a pit and not being able to get on in life. And obviously that's very depressing. But rather feeling than feeling I was going to fall right out down and the pit was going to go deeper and deeper and maybe perish, I felt that somehow God was there at the bottom of that trough, at the bottom of that pit, and he would hold me and he would lift me up in the future it wasn't a bottomless pit it wasn't stuck in there forever god was there in the trough in the pit and he was going to lift me up and the verse that, that went with that is deuteronomy 33:27 the eternal god is your refuge and underneath are his everlasting arms and that was that kind of picture of even though i was down in a pit god was going to catch me and lift me up again underneath are God's everlasting arms. An obscure verse, Deuteronomy 33, 27, but maybe that will speak to you. And I started attending a small Baptist church, and then I got baptized probably when I was about 21. And it really showed me that God had worked in my life and healed me. On my baptism night, 30 friends came to support me in that, and they doubled the congregation that night of this small church. And I thought, goodness me, God has worked in my life. I thought I'd have a great future. I then went into that trough, but I felt his hands were there, his arms were there, and he lifted me up. And that's a bit of the story of Micah. Micah 4, verse 6 again. In that coming day, says the Lord, I will gather those who are lame, those who've been exiled, those who I've filled with grief, those who are weak will survive as a remnant. Those who were exiles will become a strong nation. And we want to finish our meeting shortly by praying for healing, praying for you to know God with you at this time. There's hope for healing. God is going to gather the lame, those who are disabled or physically ill. God will gather you. Those in exile, those that are rejected or overlooked or paranoid or lonely, God's going to gather you. Those who are in grief, you're going to emerge from that grief and pain and God's going to use you to serve him in his great mission coming up. And I read Psalm 40 this morning. I just want to read a few verses and we want to pray for you as we finish in a minute. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. 
He's given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed, and they will put their trust in God. There's hope for healing for you today, whether it's physically or mentally or emotionally. There's hope for healing today, and we'd love to pray for you in the final part of our meeting. Then finally, finally, from the perspective of salvation history, have we done any more slides, Paul? Paul's asleep. Wake him up, someone. I don't, are there any more, or is it finished? I'm a good speaker, aren't I? I'm going to get the tapes, get the CDs, and market them for insomnia. Yes, the remnant are healed and restored. I thought there was another slide. But finally, more kind of big picture stuff in closing from the perspective of salvation history. Israel go into exile. They go down into that trough. But then the remnant return, and Jerusalem is reestablished, and worship is restored to the temple. It's not quite the golden Davidic age, but they're back in the land, back in the temple for Jesus to come. And that links into what we celebrate at Christmas. But there's a twist in the tale, like all good stories, and Sam uh, went into this more last week. It doesn't go back to a golden age for the Jews. The Israelites are not in charge of the whole world. God does come to his temple, but he comes in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. He's full of the love and power of God, but he suffers. He lays down his life. He's in poverty. He sacrifices. And he gives up his life on the cross. But it's not just to satisfy the people of Israel. It's not just for Israelites. It's for everyone. The doors are open wide to everyone. It's for all peoples, races, nations, and tongues. It's for the poor, the lame, and the blind. It's for the orphans and the widows. Anyone who feels their needs and comes humbly to Jesus in repentance and faith, can enjoy that salvation and play their part in God's purposes. The gates are open wide. It's not just God working in my life to restore me and give me a good time, or God working in the Israelites to restore them and give them a good time. When he comes in the person of Jesus, the gates are open wide to anyone who responds to his call. And soberingly, the self-righteous Israelites, and indeed the self-righteous anyone's, will be excluded. Unless we turn around and turn to God and repent and believe, we can't receive that gift of eternal life. So if we're self-righteous, if we think, well, I'm an Israelite, so I'm in, or I'm a Christian, so it's, it's all mine. Unless we're humble before God, we'll miss out. So the future is wonderful, and it might be a bit different to our expectation. It might be broader and wider and more amazing, and Sam expressed it so well last week. God's purposes are good. If we do go down that trough, I'd love if Jesus built bridges straight across all the time. Sometimes he will. You won't go in the trough, but if you're in the trough, underneath are the everlasting arms. You will rise up if you stay close to God, and there's a bigger and brighter and better future before you. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. 
And that's a wonderful message for us all. So I want to mention three things in closing and then we can pray. I want us to have a hope-filled vision for the future. I want us to hear from God and think, wow, it'd be fantastic to get into the good things he's called me into in his future. Let's hear from God and get a hope-filled vision. I think I want us to know, and maybe some of you particularly need to know, that you're held by God underneath of the everlasting arms. You're not going to sink. He's going to lift you up. So I want you to hear from God, get a vision of future. I want you to know if you're in that trough now, you are held by God, and you won't fall any further. And then thirdly, I want you to know that you can be healed by God, that you've got healing and hope for the future. So let's, I'll hand back to Sarah now, but let's pray, let's seek God in this last little bit of time and go through the peaks and troughs and get to where he's called us to be.